Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Magic Words by U.S. Anderson. So here's what I was thinking about uh, when I woke up, got myself a cup of coffee, watching it pour here in North Carolina, a couple of days of rain, kind of nice. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's really fascinating that we have this amazing power uh, that is in us. And as we've been talking about, we're so distracted from all the different things in our life (laughs) that on the surface, you know, it really is almost an impossible task for most people to come become aware of of their own consciousness in a, in a time in history when we're so damn distracted by everything. And I was thinking about, can you imagine a few hundred years ago, when life was much, much simpler from the aspect of, I mean, obviously life was probably a lot harder than also, but there were not as many distractions. And I've mentioned that before. There was so much more time to focus on just a few things in our life. Um, But then on the other hand, I started thinking, well, you know, another thing that's interesting about this is that we, a person can probably do it faster than they could then. Because if you're not as exposed to as many things where you can really see the difference between your own ego and your true self, then it would happen over a longer period of time. It would end up actually being a lot slower. So if we could get the idea into the mind of people young enough to where they could actually start thinking about it, instead of having it be some kind of a dogmatic way of being, then they would start on their journey uh, much earlier. But what we're really coming into touch with is this, this incredible true truth that the power is in you and you are the power. Now, you, could, you can call it however you want to verbalize that for yourself that works for you, is fine. Anderson verbalizes it as you are God. There's a lot of literature, uh, especially, especially if you get into the hermetic philosophy or Christian science, uh, anything down that road, theosophy, and any of those areas where they actually verbalize it is that you are God. And I know that that's really hard for some people because it's almost like heresy, depending on the religion that you were, that you were raised in. But I even I've, I thought about that a lot over the years. Also, what is what is a, a, no better way to keep you from understanding how powerful you are than to tell you you're not that, and that it's actually wrong to think that you are that? So, what would the evidence be that you are? The evidence would be that every single thing that's created both good and bad, and sometimes we just need to go to the extremes in life to see that. Like in history, where I've referenced, you have somebody like a Hitler that can kill 6 million people, right? And you have somebody that does, you know, amazing things in life, whether it's a Martin Luther King or an Abraham Lincoln or a Buddha or a Gandhi or a Mandela, where they affect in a, like one person basically affects millions of people in their mission and their calling. 
Um, and then if you break it down in, for, into, into, into lesser experiences beyond that, but, but just as impactful, you know, the way that we invent things, the way that we create societies, that we create systems to move, like you cannot deny that we have this amazing ability to create on an unbelievable level. And of course, 100, 200, 300 years ago, we would have known that to some degree, but as society keeps expanding, as human beings we keep becoming more aware of, their, of the power that's in them, it becomes even more magnificent. So it's a, really, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really amazing thing that when you come down to, if you boil it all down to the, to the essentials of what it is that you're studying, basically it's this. You are God. You are the God of your life. You have the ability to create it in any way that you want. So there's a distinction here that's very important. And the distinction is when I'm experiencing the opposite of that, when I'm experiencing the opposite, whether I'm having trouble with me, maybe it's trouble getting myself to do something, maybe I'm still having trouble doing my sacred seven every morning or, or, or whatever it is, or it's trouble with something else, the first thing that we have to focus on is clarity. We have to really focus on clarity. We have to go back to the basic of getting that image very, very clear. <clears throat> so uh, Anderson started off, he, he started talking about it like this. He said, Jesus spoke of the law of attraction and the habit patterns of the conscious mind when he said, unto him who hath shall be given, and unto him who hath not shall be taken away even which he hath. Now, many people are, are, are familiar with that lesson, but if, you, if, you, if you're not, you should go and study it. And if you are, you should really think about what he's actually saying here. He's saying that if you have more, you'll get more. And if you don't have much, even what you have will be taken away from you. And it seems like it's such an unfair uh, kind of a statement with a lot of misunderstanding around it. But really what he's saying is those people who are conscious and they're in the thought process of consciousness will continue to grow and more will be added to their life. And those who are not in that, they're in a victim mindset, they're an entitled mindset, even what they have will be taken away from them. Um, he says he knew that the image of faith of the conscious mind was always materialized by the father. He knew that a person who saw abundance around him was by that very act calling into existence even more abundance. He knew that the person who saw lack all around him was by that very act calling into existence an even greater lack. As ye believe, so shall it be done to you, he said. And in this simple sentence, he, he stated the law of attraction more truly and, and concisely than it's, than it's ever likely ever been stated. Every thought... You, every thought you entertain and accept becomes part of you, inevitably will bring you the physical reality of your image. All choice is made in the mind, and all acceptance, uh, all acceptance is made by the spirit. And there are not billions of minds in this world at all, but only one. And it is, it is, it is in every one of us. So the illusion, and even, even the illusion from a religious standpoint, has always been separateness. It's always been separateness. That's the story of, of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden being cast out. 
It's being separated from God. The illusion is separateness. The illusion is that we're not one with. And if we're not one with, by interpretation, by default, it means that we have to go through life trying to get. And, it, and we're programmed, it's starting to, it, we have to get from external sources, which is, the, which is the big mistake. Because the external sources, if you have to get the external sources, you will always have to get the external sources or resources. The idea is that you remove the illusion that you have to get in your internal resource and realize you are the resource, you are the power. So it's starting from that center universal principle. Remember we did the whole thing where you are the center of your universe, you are the creator of that universe. You're observing everything that's going on that's happening in your world because you are the center of your individual world. It is sheer vanity to bemoan your fate for having been born into lack and limitation and disease while some other person has been born into abundance and health and is a, a, is, is a consequence scarcely touched by evil. When you truly have come to understand that there is only one mind in which every place at the same time and is in all things, you will know that the difference between you and any person on earth are purely, are purely illusory. Your I may have known lack and limitation, but when you cast these negations out and take, and take on the knowledge of abundance and health, your I has changed, and you are no longer the same person. True, you still occupy the same body, but even as your surroundings will swiftly change, so your body will become vigorous and unafraid, erect, and purposeful, animated by the greatest power in the universe. You can be anything that you want to be, do anything that you want to do. Born high or, bo or born low makes not the slightest difference. Exposed to the various evil in the world, you may use it as a stepping stone to the stars, for the kingdom of God is within, and all power of the mighty universal subconscious mind awaits your choice and your belief. No more is given to kings than to beggars. We are, or, we, we are all born equal, and we're all alone. And he who disputes this point suffers from vanity. Uh, the vanity kills quicker than the hemlock of Socrates. So, again, part of what, part of what he's teaching here is that the thing that we want is outside of us. When he's talking about vanity, you have to, and this is where it gets twisted. Like in a, in a lot of a lot of religions, it gets twisted. Um, uh, from a values or ethics perspective, a lot of times it gets twisted. That the he, like he's basically saying, don't put your importance on the external things in your life, the materialistic. But what he's really saying is, don't put it, don't put the importance on it from the idea that you can't live without it. You have to have it. It's literally controlling the way that you think. Those things are important to be used in and of themselves to make your life better, more comfortable for your enjoyment, for the betterment of other people. That's totally fine. But when it becomes important, like I have to have this or I can't make decisions because of this, that, or the other, whether it's other people or the circumstances or situations that you're in, it robs you of your ability to choose. I see people get in these places where they're, they're, you can tell by their questions that in their mind, they're really locked in a box. 
And the box is simply that they look at their life and they think they can't choose something for themselves, something different for themselves because of the life that they've already created. So what they're looking at is, are, is and they're looking at consequences in their life that they believe have more power over their choice. But in fact, in truth, they've given their power to those things. They've given their power to those consequences. And they're not, and they're, and in, in that moment, they're not taking it back. They're absolutely not aware that for whatever reason, because of how they believe that power is then given over to something else. But it's a complete illusion. I mean, it, again, it is, it, it's almost like an abstract, right? So the, the power is still in you, whether you know it or you're not, but what you're doing is you're projecting it onto something else that has, in your mind, more power than you do. But nothing ever takes away the ability to choose. Everything is still a choice when it comes right down to it. He says, it is, van it is vanity, isolated ego, which is always our undoing. It's I have to do this, I have to do that, I, I, I. When the truth is that I does nothing but choose and accept and all things are done by the universal subconscious mind. Popular, uh, popular opinion to the contrary, vanity is more likely to be found among the failures and the diseased than the and the poverty stricken. And uh, it is among the than, I'm sorry, than it is among the successful and the healthy. For vanity is no more, no less than a sense of personal responsibility, an acute sense of ego is being separate and isolated from the universal subconscious mind. A person who falls prey to disease believes that he must take constant precautions against the invisible microbes which are constantly threatening him. He believes that the, the, the whole matter of his being free from those ailments depends upon his taking the paper or the proper physical precautions uh, at the proper time. And the ritual with which he calls forth God, uh, the God of health, is contained in the bottles and boxes of powders, liquids, uh, and, and medicines. It is true that the very often these medications produce a desired result for the very obvious reason that the person taking them believes that they will. Now, here's what we have to understand about this because this can get very confusing for people. You all, especially when it's coming to your health or it's coming to anything that, that has like a serious life or death kind of a consequence. The belief that you have cannot be ignored, right? So what do I mean by that? If you have a belief, and most of us have this belief because of the time and history that we're raised, that of what a doctor is, what it means to be healthy, the things that, that that make us sick or the things that help us get better. Yes, we've projected those things out onto external things, but the problem is not so much that in and of itself. It's the fact that we believe them. That's the problem. So to try to overthrow that belief by just saying, well, I'm just going to think positive about my health and I'm not going to go to a doctor or do anything like that is completely ludicrous. It's a, it's a total misunderstanding of what's actually going on because your belief will always override your conscious mind. So while it's a good thing to have a positive attitude and build the image of health, if, you, if in fact you were having that issue in your life, 
to disregard the fact that you already have a subconscious belief that in order to get healthy, you probably have to go to a doctor or take some kind of medication. If that's already in you, which it is in most people, to disregard that is, is just complete foolishness. So the idea is that you do your part the best that you can maintaining your own spiritual uh, idea of what health is for you and you still take the appropriate actions that you need to take externally with whatever healing modality you decide to go down. So just make sure that you understand that because I see people sometimes do things like it just doesn't make any sense. They're just, they're just not considering the fact that they already have this belief that is deep in them. Okay, now I'm going to switch over here. So this is called uh, this comes from chapter 12 in this book, The Key, uh, The Veil Removed. He says, That which from self made each mortal self unto each mortal must be thus the key that unlocks the portal to God thyself. Thou art he, you are God. This is the ineffable secret, the ultimate illumination, the key of peace and power. You are God. If you will accept this towering truth, dare to stand atop of this magnificent pinnacle, universal consciousness will be revealed to you from within. God is there. It is he who peers from behind your eyes. It is your own consciousness, you, who, who is your very self. You are not just a part of God. You are altogether God, and God is altogether you. From the Upanishads, it says the personal self, and the ultimate imperishable impersonal self are one. From the Vendata, not, not a part, not a mode of that, but identically, that, that, absolute spirit of the world. From Christ, who hath seen me has seen the Father. God is the universal subconscious mind, the intelligence, the intelligence that pervades all time and space, the design and the order, the consciousness of things. God becomes things. He becomes all things. He has become you. God is not your body, not your ego, but your sense of being, your I. There is only one I in the universe, the same sense of self as in everyone. It appears to be different in life because it closes itself in different forms. These forms wither and decay, but the self is always one, the indivisible and the changeless. Every person that lives, every person that ever will live, every creature and thing are all one spirit. All are God, and each is, to, each is altogether God. Now, again, if we're coming from that perspective, then if we're having a problem and we're, and, and we're doing everything that we think that we should be doing, for the attainment of that problem. We talked about there's resistance. There could be the idea that we actually don't want to do what it takes. But if you think to yourself, well, I'm not resisting because I'm, I'm putting myself out there no matter what shows up and I'm totally going to do what it takes, then you have to get clearer on the vision because you're not communicating subconsciously, energetically, or spiritually the idea of what it is that you want to receive. So it's about more clarity on the vision. Be clear. Where is your vision foggy? Where is it not clear? Double down on the clarity of the vision. Because you have to remember, spirit's totally deductive. It can't change a thing. 
Whatever you turn over to it is what it brings you. So more clarity, more clarity. Always remember, you don't know how it's going to come to you. So you don't want to get attached on the way. Let's say that you're thinking to yourself, oh, if I could just work with this person, uh, you know, what, like, if I could interview this person or if I could get an introduction to this person, we start focusing on this one person that we think that if we met or they helped us or whatever, that that, that would help us become successful. And we, we get to the person and we find out they don't want anything to do with us. It can start to confuse our mind like, but I was so sure. Well, you were wrong. So what do we have to do? Go back and get clear about the image. Also, what I was taught a long time ago is whether you're, whether you're working on manifesting an individual in your life, say as like a life partner or a team member or somebody that you need to meet, any, any person, what you don't want to do is put a face on it. You don't want to put a face on it. You want to take out <clears throat> and see what are the attributes of this individual. And you can list all of that out in the greatest detail that you want, but you don't want to put a face on it. Because the moment that you put a face on it, you interject your ego by saying, I think it has to come through this individual. And you may be right or you may be wrong, but when you do that, you're literally blocking, if it is, if it is someone else, you're kind of blocking that from getting to you because you're so hyper-focused on it's got to be this one person. It's got to be this one person. And it's not the person. It's the attributes or the qualities of that person that what you is what you really want. And also, when you, when you start to project on another person, especially when you don't know them, you're putting your story onto that individual. You're creating a story. You're creating a story. I'll never forget, years and years ago, I went to a seminar, um, and it was, uh, it, was a long, it was a long seminar. I think we were there for almost 10 days. And it was very, very long days. And it was a relatively small group of, of individuals that were going through this. So you were going to eat together. You were going to work together. You were sleeping in close quarters. I mean, you're with these people day and night for a long period of time. And the instructor came out in the beginning and said, no romantically hooking up with somebody else. Stay in your own experience. And they said, remember, you know, as we go through something difficult, you may start to find yourself attracted to someone else. And then they said something that was very interesting. And at the time, I had never heard this before. They said, you have to remember, you're the one that's doing that. You're creating that. It's not something that's happening to you. Now, that took me down a whole different other area of study at the time, but I was like, that, but based on everything that I was learning at the time, I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. But I never realized I was the one that was creating my attraction to somebody else in my mind. Like I was doing that. I was creating that attraction. The, you know, the way that we're kind of taught about that is it's almost like this thing that happens to us that we have no control over and nothing can be further from the truth. Okay, let's wrap this up here. He says, each of us all together, uh, God, each of us is altogether God because infinite intelligence cannot divide itself. It makes a seeming division in flesh, but never in spirit. For infinity is always one and indivisible. God manifests completely in each thing, and each thing manifests of God's knowledge of himself. 
Your consciousness is God's consciousness. Your idea of yourself is God's idea of himself. The idea you accept are automatically manifested in life. For what God knows, he creates, and what you know is created. For you are God. And that's it. I mean, that it's that's what it is. So <clears throat> the, the struggle for most people is accepting the fact that they have that much power in them. And also accepting it in a way where it does not, it does not fit in, or it does not, I should say, like poison the ego in a way. Um, Waddles talked about that in The Science of Getting Rich. He said, there's nothing that's so tempting to the undeveloped, the partially undeveloped mind is the idea of absolute power, right? So if you're using it for like, oh, I can get whatever the hell I want in life, you actually start twisting it, you know, and that's where you, that's what I mean, that's where you see people that are like narcissistic personalities and, and stuff, you know, when it's gone into a complete dysfunction, it's not a healthy thing. That's where they're guiding, they're guiding the intention of what they want to fit their own neurotic need versus letting spirit guide them into the idea of who it is that they're supposed to become and the purpose that they have. But you know, in uh, in the Christian tradition, it's talked about a personal relationship with God. That that's exactly what it is. So many places, there's an indication of this, uh, or it's or it's laid out directly, but it's very very rarely approached by anyone that's a teacher, because it's so there's so much stigma around the idea. I on the other hand really don't give a crap what other people think about it. I know for the fact that if that there is there is only one manifestation that we're aware of uh, within our lifetime and within the history that we read outside of the world itself. And that's what human beings consistently create, either for good or for bad. So you have, I mean, you know, you just have to decide that, you know, you're going to do it for good. But even when, even if you, even if a person's not a Gandhi or not a Hitler, if you look at it at a micro level, even the average individual, right, the person that's living an average mediocre life, they're generally a good person, they're trying to do good in the world, they go to work every day, they take care of their families, they're still doing what we would consider good or bad on a micro level. So it, it absolutely affects everything. The idea of this is that you want to step into this purpose that's really big and bright and beautiful, you have to understand the power behind that to begin with a little bit more. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.